Hello, brothers. My name is Doug Draper. I'm a 1992 graduate from the University of Kansas, and I'd like to welcome you to On the Banks. On the Banks is the only fraternity podcast where we meet brothers, share stories, and embrace, uh, embrace the shared values of Phi Gamma Delta. So we're excited about today's show. Uh, it's amazing. Not often do I get to use the term Renaissance man, but uh, we certainly have one today. So I'd like to uh, welcome Sonny Wooden to the show. Sonny, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I went to the gym this morning, so I'm still trying to stay healthy as possible. So yes, there you, you know, go. Wear my mask in the gym because I, they tell me to. So I'm just you know taking it day by day. But you know I'm here here with the boys, so it's yeah. good to be here. Yeah. Cool. You look a little buff than last time I saw you. So uh, the gym is is working out for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I got over it. Like I used to run a lot and I was like, I'm over this, like I'm <laughs> to the gym all the time. So yeah. yeah, I've always been a big dude, you know, I was a football player for like seven years and stuff. So right. I, had, I had to, I had to like get back under the weights. It feels good. Nice. Nice. Well, before we dive into it, I'd like to uh, talk to our audience and our brothers a little bit about yourself and kind of why we use the term or why you and I decided to use the term Renaissance man, because your, uh, you know, your family and, and, and your origins are from West Side Chicago. Um, you're a University of Iowa graduate. Here's the cool thing: you have a master's of fine arts degree from University of Pennsylvania. Um, you're a painter. You're a sculptor. You're a writer. Uh, you've put a couple of uh, films to get, uh, together, um, and you have a true entrepreneurial spirit for sure. Um, and with that spirit comes along the ability to talk about all kinds of topics, um, some of which are a little, little hard to, uh, uh, to, to get out there and, and talk in this day and age as a young uh, college uh, 18 to 22 year old, but we'll get into that shortly. So all those cool things that you are Sonny, one of the things that I'm most proud about is to be able to call you uh, a brother in the fraternity. And I'm so excited to have you here. So. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Yeah. So, hey, we're just going to jump into this thing a little hardcore. So I'm just going to ask the question, right? So um, what, what, so you're a, a black guy from uh, the, the Chicago suburbs and you landed up in a fraternity in the farm belt of America. That, that seems like a pretty crazy, crazy line to, to move from point A to point B. So uh, why, why did you decide to do that and maybe start off with some of your, your backstory, which could potentially help us understand and navigate that line? Yeah, we can we can start at high school. So um, K through eight, I went through. I went to this school called Hillside, which is next to Proviso West High School. Um, I was like overweight. I was fat. I wore glasses. I had a gap. Like I was, I was bullied, you know. But I played football a lot. So I played football, like, like from from like third grade to like seventh grade or something like that, off and on. Uh, I used to do like martial arts and stuff. So I love being athletic and. I was like kind of good. Like my my team in seventh grade was like nationals for like football, and I was like getting like recruited, you know, in the high school way. It's like, hey, we'll give you half scholarship. You come play football here. But you know, it's like private school. Like Isaiah Thomas went to St. Joe's. And I was like looking there, but my family actually got a divorce, which kind of helped me. And they were like, you're too sensitive. You're not gonna do well at Proviso West. It's too rough. So mm -hmm. they split, and my mom moved to Oak Park. And, and like I went to Oak Harbor Force High School because she lived there and we lived on the street called Austin, which is the dividing line between West Side of Chicago and mm -hmm. Park. And through that experience, you know, I still played football, blew my shoulder out like 12 dislocations later, you know, I officially stopped. 
had the surgery, didn't work. So I'm like, all right, whatever, swam. And then there was this cute girl that I liked in my Spanish class. And she was, she was, she was a rower, like an oarsman. And I was like, okay, I'm going to join this thing. And like, I really liked the word regatta. It was part of a lexicon that I've never even heard of, of like boating, you know, and my family's super working class. Um, I've been very like, like what what my friends and I would sometimes call it hood adjacent, you know, I would spend a lot of time in the hood, but my address wasn't there. And, you know, I just kind of developed this kind of like working class, like rigor. And then also this like understanding, understanding of like street etiquette and manners that, you know, many people don't have. And then I went on, you know, to, to college, you know, one state in rowing. So I went to row in college, wasn't tall enough. I'm only five, seven. So wasn't good, you know, it wasn't happening, but you know, what is it like, like even before then it's like, what is a black dude whose family's from inner city first generation doing going to like an Ivy league rowing, like high performance team that like all my friends were going to like Princeton and Cornell and, you know, university of Delaware, like all these like coastal universities. And I was on my way to Ithaca, but I made the pivot and went to Miami of Ohio. And when I went to Miami of Ohio, I actually wanted to rush there, but they had second semester rush, but, you know, it was just so like violently racist. And I went there during, during the, the Obama um, elect, like re-election of 12. And like my third day on campus, like I was walking uptown um, to like Brick Street or something. And someone called me a nigger out of their car. And I was like, oh, this is precedence. This might be precedence, it's more. And then people were like drawing monkeys and like there were like nooses around campus and stuff and like, mm. You know, that's just how Miami of Ohio works. Um, I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. So went to DePaul, went to study music. My dad and I both have synesthesia. So I wanted to do something with this like understanding of music that I have innately. Um, I'm not a classically trained musician. They didn't take me, dropped out, um, waited like six months, went to Columbia College of Chicago, built a portfolio there, made some great people. I used to take fashion courses, like sewing, sewing my own clothes. I used to make like blazers and like skirts for women um got like a 98 percent in like sewing you know it was incredible um, <laughs> you know it was very fun but they didn't have nice. like fashion for men and I hated that and then I was like hey like I'm looking around corners down the way and I'm like you know the art like the the fashion men's fashion is gonna be like a 60 billion dollar industry like we need to have classes for that like I want to make men's fashion I'm a, I'm a male like I want to do this and you know they told me no so when people tell me no, I say, okay, uh, wait, how much, how strong of a language can I use here? Um, medium to, uh, let's just keep it medium. How's about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate right. asking. Good call, yeah, like, good call. Yeah, so I was, they were like, yeah, you can't do that. So when people tell me I can't do something, I'm like, okay, you know, okay, good. So I, I transferred out of there to a better art school, which is School of Arts to Chicago. Very conceptual, very rigorous. Um, studied there for, a few years uh, for a year actually. And I, I did painting, I did photo and I did design. In my design courses, I came up with like, you know, like Amazon lockers in 2014, where I was just like, all right, bike messenger drops off your package here. You can go do it. It decentralizes like your packages away from your house. You can just go pick them up. My professor told me that was a stupid idea. Many years later, it looked like it works. So mm -hmm. um, to, to my brothers, it's like, well, sometimes you don't listen to people. Um, but then, but then, um, uh, I, my mom ended up leaving to take a job at Bank of America and in, in Georgia, we were, at, we were in a rough patch. So she left and then 
like a couple weeks later around my birthday in 2015 you can like look this up on like on the internet I met Kanye and I cried to him about like trying to get out of Chicago and growing up in Chicago like the black artist of choice was like Kanye for me like kind of nerdy kind of weird no one understood him and I was like okay like I gotta ask him this question how do I get out of here and he was like I'm speechless I don't know what to tell you and at that moment I was like oh no my idol can't tell me anything and it was like it was like my idols fall from grace and I was like I gotta get out of here and then a week later uh, a really great family friend um uh he died by suicide um and I was I was there like two hours before he died and then I went to the hospital you know where everything you know where we like where they signed paperwork we saw him there and you know live with them for two weeks it was like it was a long process so mm-hmm. at that point I was like you know the violence in Chicago is escalating it's the summer when it gets hot in Chicago it gets kind of crazy mm-hmm. um, I was like I got to get out of here my like a friend just died my mom's gone I, I I need to get out so I left and I went to Iowa and I, I always wanted to go to Iowa even when I was at Miami of Ohio there was a man named Dave Mallet who used to like take all my like credentials to transfer and I ended up like not going and you know, I got to Iowa and I said, I need support. And my friend who passed away actually uh, was a sick guy at Miami of Ohio, which is like the alpha chapter. And I was gonna be part of that uh, or attempt to be part of that. And, and next thing I know, um, and I get to Iowa, I, didn't, I said, I'm gonna respect him and like not do sick high because, you know, I don't know his relationship with that before he passed. I looked at Fido, it wasn't a thing. And then I met some Fiji guys uh, at some rush events. And I was like, okay, these guys are trying to build something. And, and the, thing, the thing I've always been is the underdog. So for me, I was like, all right, fight. No one gave me a bit, but, you know, but Fiji. And I said, well, well, now I got to go after everybody. So then, <laughs> and that's just how I work. So we, right. uh, we ended up making the fraternity one of the best on campus, you know, in my time there. And that's just how, that's just how yeah. I operate, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, uh, quite a line. I, I didn't realize. I thought it was Chicago down down to Iowa. So I appreciate you giving us that backstory, mm-hmm. and and uh, that's really cool. You embraced the, the fraternity and saw that there was an opportunity to kind of take it to the next level. And and you know your um, your background is your you get stuff done. Come in there and you and you shake it up and you make it happen. So that's that's good. Well, I'm a worker. Um, like I love Iowa. I love Iowa. It's one of my favorite states next to Wyoming. Yeah. yeah well you'll have to swing through kansas sometime because there's a lot of similarities between those three states was, i was telling you i was almost a jayhawk like I, yeah. I loved it i yeah i do remember that yeah we, we had a funny story about all the people that from chicago come down to, to lawrence and then and then head back up so oh, yeah. um you know one of the things that we spoke about at the beginning of the show is is um topics that are sometimes difficult to discuss openly um, with uh, the generation, the college generation, 18 to 22, and, and even more specifically with fraternity and Greek life. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the mental health. I know that mental health challenges and experiences have been part of you, around you, and impacted you, yeah. you know, your, your entire life. And you made mention of it just a minute ago with one of your good friends. So what, what's your thoughts about mental health in, in college and the fraternity experience? You know, it's always been kind of a faux pas topic, but I think mm-hmm. it's a new generation and, and people are more willing to, you know, to talk about it. So mm-hmm. what's your take on that with the college environment? Are people embracing it? What, what are the pros uh, with, with how things are in 2021? Well, I think 
you know, I think a lot of these things around mental health stem from, you know, maybe adolescence in some ways, but definitely high school. Um, and, 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 to, and to like, just be honest, like what, what is a fraternity made of? It's like usually mm-hmm. a bunch of white straight dudes from like suburbs who have enough disposable income to throw into like a quasi country club in a campus, right? And most of that, and most of the reason they do that is because, you know, it's 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 a way to be around your similar class, you know, and and like that's fine, that's that's so totally understood. But also, it's about camaraderie. I will say, it's about brotherhood. It is about those things too. So growing up, a lot of people feel like they're they have to be this kind of normal. It's you know, it's like normality is like the root of like a lot of issues. And I've I saw it in my fraternity. I saw it in other people's fraternities. And you can kind of see them all kind of like gel into one thing. But mm-hmm. I think, at, at least for me, like my like mental health issues were always there. They were just glaring. But the only thing I did differently than anyone else was go to therapy when people were like laughing about it, you know, where, you know, I would talk to some of my like, you know, Irish Catholic fan, friends, uh, Irish Catholic friends, or some of my other like Christian friends. And it's like, you know, you pray, you go for a walk or you go to confessional. And I'm like, logically, if you broke your arm, would you go to confessional and be like, you know, like, this is what I was doing before I broke my arm. Or you're gonna go to like someone else, right? You're gonna be honest with yourself. And what I did was honest with myself, like, I have to like get treatment, you know? Like I was like, I have to treat this as I would treat my arm or my leg or my back and go talk to someone. and in the fraternity, I just saw like this, this, this idea of being like masculine that was very like perverse in a lot of ways. Like they, they felt the need to be masculine. And I'm like, well, you're, you are masculine. You can be masculine, right? But the thing that I had the, the, the kind of ability to do was like, as a black dude, people see me as overly masculine, right? Like super like, you know, tough and like, you know, they look at like black culture through like the lens of rap and they're like, oh, those dudes are tough, you know, like, you know, they're super masculine, you know, but the thing that afforded me was like a kind of cool, right? So I, I was like, the only thing I tried to do was rebrand therapy and rebrand mental health, like while I was in, like while I was on campus as like, you know, the cool black dude isn't going to therapy. So maybe we all should, right. you know, maybe we should all talk about these things. Cause if I can, right, which is like, you know, I come from like, you know, stereotypically what people say, like the most hardened people in America. And if I'm going to therapy and y'all not going to therapy, there's an issue there. So I just tried to make it as obvious as possible that like, you can do this, be okay. And it doesn't make you any less of a man, right? And I think a lot of people feel like they have to be a kind of man because of legacy, because of, you know, fathers and, and uncles and things like that. But like, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't have to do that. I just never understood it. It just didn't make any logical sense to me to be like, I must be this way and handle these things this way as mm-hmm. if there's one way to do these things. Um, but then you see like post-grad, you know, people, you know, you know, they come out and they talk about these issues that they were dealing with the entire time they're in a fraternity or people who, who are coming out, you know, as gay or bi or trans, whatever it may be from, the same exact system that is like, like overly masculine at times. And the and my question has always been, what is happening within that infrastructure or within that, with under in that 
in that infrastructure or within that framework or structure or whatever kind of architecture that it may be that is allowing people or not even allowing them, but like restricting themselves, like, mm -hmm. like them as like, a, like their self, you know, identity. And a lot of that comes from like, you know, proximity to a kind of like um, understanding of the world and a, and a fear that if you divert from that, you're no longer X, Y, Z. And mm -hmm. for me, yeah, as a, as a black dude in Iowa already, they don't know what to do with me. So it's like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Well, I like the analogy of, of uh, a limb, an arm being broken um, and saying you wouldn't go to a confessional if you're in pain and your arm needs to be addressed. Um, like you said, same, same yeah. thing with, with mental health. Let me ask you this. So um, do you think this... I don't want to say severity because that, that's the wrong word. Maybe prevalence uh, is greater now as far as mental health challenges and some of the stresses that are put, uh, put on college kids. Do you think that has grown with social media and the, you know, the, fair, uh, uh, the FOMO and all that kind of stuff? Do you think it's increased? Do you think there's external factors in the world that have pushed more buttons? Or, or do you think it's always there or always been there in some level? And, um, young men and women are just more comfortable with sharing some of their challenges. So it's kind of a long question, but do you think it's always been there or do you think there's, there's um, external forces just in the world right now that are making it more prevalent? Um, I, think, I think these things have always been there, right? Because the way we can say that these things have always been there is because of existentialism, you know? You know, when a fraternity brother, you know, or friend or whomever, you know, gets high and they're like, the world, you know, that is like a very small dose of like existentialism of mm -hmm. like being in the present and like dealing with one's self-existence. And what ends up happening now is like that that's happening and also not happening at the same rate where people are skimming across the surface of like who they are um, identity wise. And they're seeing images of things and want to become those images. You know, you know, if we look at um like if we look at like dating apps for instance right it's like it's game like dating apps are like gamified you know like robin hood is gamified so this the same brain that's supposed to like help you you know you know solve like a deep like you know derivative trade is the same bra brain that's like trying to like you is that's being gamified for election you know of, of some of like you're shopping you know and in the, in the in that space i think is really odd and i think it's always been there but in different ways like i think people people are just starting to come to terms with the fact that like you this the, there there has to be another model mm -hmm. exist in the world you know we can see like like non-binary people and trans people um, in the world you know, living lives very openly um, through social media. And we, we, we can like, we, we, are, we are one confronted, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, normative, you know, people in some capacity. But then what's also occurring is like, they're able to be the entire selves, you know? And we, we're, we're on the same, same wavelength. So mm -hmm. I think what a lot is what's starting to occur is people is realizing that like, it's, it's not all, it's not all what we've been told, you know, like there's, there's different channels now, like, especially like television was the only channel, you know, that, you know, we got information from now there's like, there's TV, there's like thousands of channels now, 
Then there's social media, which is like so deep and so vast and so personal. And then there's Twitter, which is just like a whole different other, you know, like it's it's just the First Amendment in app form almost. And it's mm-hmm. just like, there's so many ways to be now, but which is also great, but then it's also like a hindrance because it's like, you have to choose. And people usually don't choose themselves, right? They usually choose what they see. And that's, and I think that's, that's what's, what's the problem is like people are not spending enough time with themselves and being honest. Like that's why I became an artist was like, it afforded me to be honest, like painfully honest about my, my existence, my personal existence. And hopefully it touches everybody simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. You made, you know, going back to the, the analogy of, of the arm and finding the right outlet to provide support. Um, yeah. you, you know, we, we need to find the right, the right outlet and, and some of it's going to therapy and have that level. Do, do you think another outlet, I know the fraternity uh, as a whole has been, been working for this and, and uh, um, providing resources, but do you think when we say, hey, one of the ways that you can help address your concerns as a young adult mental health awareness and challenges, you say, hey, the fraternity is a great place to go for support. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, I think most people would be like, what are you talking about? I, you know, that's, that's, that's something that people wouldn't align with providing support in mental health. But I know yeah. that you're passionate about the fraternity and obviously you've had brothers that you've spoken with and everything else. So talk about the fraternity and the Greek system maybe as a whole uh, to be a, a resource um, to understand, address, and feel comfortable with mental health. Yeah, I think I've I've always thought institutions are very important. Um, even as a even as a kid, I thought institutions were very important. You know, I was I was having a discussion with some folks yesterday about libraries and like how they're like places of work. You know, deep work, and how people like the work from home thing is starting to happen. How those spaces, like that's just like a capitalistic version of li- of, of of a library, right? It's like one kind right. of work. Blah blah blah. Um, but the institution of the fraternity, you know, if we go back to the beginning of the fraternity, right? It was like these like men in rooms like talking about the world. You know, it was supposed to be like almost a forum um, of, of, of like a place for like like putting like things into the world. Also, it's just like this is what we're gonna do, and we have these values, and we can stick together. And then after that, I think around what the early 1900s. Uh, early to mid 1900s um, with like the GI Bill, people started going to college at like very large rates. And some of those guys were war guys. And then those war guys, you know, the army guys were going into these fraternities and saying, um, keeping their brotherhood still alive and using just a different container, right? Um, The institution of the like uh, military, military industrial complex was then slid over into the Greek life system, which is like, it has the same kind of foundation of like uh, men um, working for the same thing, sticking together, um, like maybe XYZ infantry is also part of this fraternity, which makes it more accessible to those people. And it says like, oh, like, you know, that infantry is in that signu, right? Or those like Air Force guys are in Fiji or those like Navy SEALs are in Seikai. So people were able to find one another in that in that capacity. So for me, that was that's how I thought about it. And I think the kind of brotherhood that is obtained now um, is a lot different than those times because those guys were a lot of, a lot older. They were like twenty something, and the amount of trauma they like 
like accrued, you know, to go to war was so large that they stuck together, you know. And when we look at the fraternity system, it's it's still about that. It's what it what, like for me, like the Greek life system is about having an entire support system built into your life single-handedly. And do you have to earn that? I mean, yeah, you do. Like you have to like pay your dues. But do you also like get like like a house, you know, a house that you can walk into at any time of day? Yes. Do you get like social events? Absolutely. Do you, you know, do you get like a study group whenever you whenever you need it? You know, absolutely. Do you, do there are there so many different people that you normally wouldn't have contact with normally in that space? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that's going to be the like like because I think also like the shadow conversation, you know, that I'm I'm having or we're having about the fraternity system and brotherhood is about where's the fraternity going to go in the like 21st century? Because like after the after this year and these events, it's going to have to pivot into something way more like at least uh, in in perception wise um, accessible to people. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it still works. I still believe in institutions. I mean, I still believe in Fiji. Like I, I always will, because when I when my mom moved away, I had nowhere to go back to in Chicago. My dad lived in a in a studio, and I couldn't sleep there. And my grandmother and my aunt lived together. I didn't want to sleep on her couch. And I went to my fraternity brother Reed Roots, who was like out in Colorado now, and he's actually he was my pledge dad as well, and he. I was like, yo, like, can I stay in the house? He's like, yo, there's no heat and we're, we're not supposed to. You got to watch out for Jeff, the, the Mal brothers. But if you do, you know, you, you can stay in my, in, in my bed and there's like a, a heated blanket. You can stay there. And like, what, like, what, you know, like what, like, the, yeah. Like, but if I listen to like this kind of, le- the, the, the overarching liberal leaning rhetoric of like what I'm told, but what I've experienced are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and and that's just how i've always operated where like i don't really care for um what i've been told you know i'm not a theorist i'm a practitioner so i think the fraternity is very much like it can it can be something but it's going to have to confront itself eventually yeah so uh two-part question here right i, I like the two-parters so you can pick one or the other or take take them both right so um what support programs right so you've talked a lot about the fraternity and, and how the greek life uh, and the analogies of, of war and um not that fraternity is a war but the 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 bonds that were created uh, yeah. outside of that but you know what support programs would have been helpful for you and my second question is what advice would you give an undergraduate tr- chapter and some some brothers that have identified a need or see some some brothers that are like you know, we need to provide support um, to these guys. So what advice would you give an undergrad to address it? Like, how would they get started with a program or resources to support their brothers? And then the the second question, I guess, which is the first one, is what programs would you have liked to have seen um, at University of Iowa? So I don't know if those two questions make sense or not, but uh, that would get good perspective, uh, would be a great perspective from you. Um, when it really comes down to, I think, what, when it really comes down to what I think we needed more than anything is not a, not a fixer or a helper, but we kind of always needed a lawyer, you know? 
and like not a lawyer in the traditional sense of like they know the law but someone who can like someone who's older not an advisor you know whose you know job or like a purple legionnaire who's there to take care of us and make sure we don't mess up but someone who's like really agnostic or like really not part of the fraternity or the university that can can be like we needed an uncle you know more than anything like we all have that uncle who tells you all the things that you're not supposed to know but he's very honest with you mm-hmm. and I think that kind of figure is super important in Greek life because it's no bs usually you know the uncles always know bs and it's very hard to be no bs in a room 140 dudes at the same age like who's going to listen to you mm-hmm. but there has to be someone there who can like step in and be like you know, this is how these things work and this is how you have to go forward. And when, you know, something goes wrong, you know, you, you can go to, to that person rather than the Purple Legionnaire who's going to look down on you because the Purple Legionnaire functions more as a father. Um, and, and then the fraternity brothers who are younger are like the children, right? He's just trying, he's, like, he's more of a shepherd. You know, he's trying to corral, trying to maintain the land. He's like, you know, making sure things are yielding well, things of that nature. But to have like, an individual who's like part of the university, part of the uh, fraternity, but also, you know, removed in, in like a, a direction is super important because a lot of times when these kids, you know, and I say kids, like, cause like when they get there, they're like 17, 18 years old, they, what they're experiencing is freedom, mm-hmm. you know? And they don't know which direction to grow in, you know? And like, I, like, it's hard to go to another 17, 18 year old and be like, which way should I grow? You know, it's like, you, you, can't, you can't do that. Because like, if I keep using the analogy of a tree, you know, the container of the fraternity, you know, if, it's, if it doesn't have any resistance, it won't strengthen. And it needs to like confront itself. And, and I keep saying confront itself because that's like the reality of it. It's like, there needs to be a bit more care. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be some people you can talk to. And you know, I was that I, I tried to be that guy as best I could in the fraternity. Like I was the guy who broke all the bad news. You know, when someone got hurt at formal in another fraternity, you know, I stood up and I was like, I'll take I'll take this, you know, optically, you know, me being always real, um, that it will it would come across as like serious, you know, like who's gonna be real in the room. But also I think, you know, services like um not not just, just like more low-key services around mental health, but just fraternity specific, um, I think are, are very important because the, the kids in the fraternities are going through something the general population isn't necessarily going through mm-hmm. uh, because it's a different, it's, you know, it's like joining like, um, like it's like joining a country club at a very young age because there's legacy involved, there's capital involved. Um, there's, a, there's an unspoken etiquette that is involved. And I think some of the some of that needs to be like a, a direct line to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the advice I give to them is, um, you know, you you, you can't you, you can't you can't you can't be short term focused all the time. You know, like yeah, like it's fun to like party and all that stuff. It's like, like do you want to be cool at you know twenty or do you want to be cool at forty? Mm-hmm. You know. And like, that's, that's, that was always my viewpoint. Like my viewpoint was always like, what, how, if this, if I can keep this chapter alive through, you know, my cabinet position 
and, and, and on, then I can be a resource to the fraternity going forward. Mm-hmm. But in the short term, if the fraternity gets kicked off underneath like my quote unquote administration, why will the fraternity ever listen to me again? Mm-hmm. And like, that's the approach I took, which is like, you know, I, yeah, I'm an artist and I'm critical and I'm black and all these things, but like, like it's, it's my fraternity, you know, it's, 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 it's our fraternity, but it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, like whatever, you know, like whatever agenda, you know, the opposing side has, like, I don't really care what they have to say, but I know I want to keep my, my system, the thing I experience alive and make it better. And that, that's the only kind of advice I would really give is like, y'all, y'all have to be honest. Like y'all as in like the younger brothers and like us as like uh, graduate brothers is like, we have to be honest and like tackle these things head on. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I think going forward, accessibility into the Greek life system is going to be like really, really important because right. people are going to want to find more of a space to be, to be in, in something, something more real, like going to college is real, but being in a fraternity is like a way different understanding. Like I know a lot of people who are like, they regret not rushing. Mm-hmm. And like, at least if people rush and they find out, but for me, my, my whole, my whole thing was like, you know, I guess the other thing I'll say about rush and things like that is like, we have to find ways for like good brothers who can't afford it to get in, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's, I think that's the most important piece. Cause like for me coming from where I came from, like I had to pull like strings and stuff with the university so I can be in Fiji um, to be a GAM. So I think that's really important. So like, how can we, how can we internationally or, or HQ wise and with each chapter be like, all right, who's our list of our guys who should, who we want to put into this fraternity, we can't afford it because mm-hmm. You know, we can, because the barrier to entry is already kind of hot um, to get in. But at this point, I'm kind of blabbing. I'm just trying to, like, keep us alive, right? Like, I just yeah. have some ideas, and I'm like, Erica's on the call. Like, let me drop my <laughs> Like, Erica, yeah. let's talk after this and, like, keep it going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You know, there are uh, two things that jumped out at me whenever you said this, and one was right out of the gate. And I think it's almost um, contradictory to what men in general try to do is fix things, right? And then if I have a brother or somebody that's having struggles, my initial take is I need to fix this. I need to fix him. I need to fix the situation. Right. Sometimes there is no fix. It's listening and, and, and understanding and just, just being there for, for the brothers. And then the other, the other piece that I liked what you said is that there's a lot of advisors in the fraternity, the Purple Legionnaire, the BCA, that are there to help you with what are you doing for a scholarship? What are you doing for um, a, a philanthropy? What are you doing to get involved with campus? And those are very tangible things. But I, I love the fact that we, you got to find the uncle that's not trying to better the fraternity, uh, but better the men in, right. to some degree whenever, whenever they're having uh, questions, um, challenges, or uncertainties in their life. So by all stretch, goal is not to fix anything it's to listen and to have and the second piece was, was to have that advisor out there that's not so focused on scholarship and all the metrics uh that we're often judged by so i really i really like those two yeah i mean i think that an interesting thing to say is like the metrics are like what we believe in when it comes to perception right the metrics is, is our way of saying okay whatever you may heard about us our gpa is high though you know mm-hmm. so it's like a way to do that but I think what it really comes down to is like who who's going to be there you know like 
like who's going to maintain, you know, like I think House Corp uh, overall does a good job. And I think, you know, there's a hierarchy of Greek life as well. You know, like, like the Southern chapters over the Northern chapters or the East mm -hmm. Coast chapters over the Western chapters. And um, I think that kind of, that kind of under, like the, the, the ingrained political nature of being in a fraternity, like there's a lot of that. But I think at a certain point, we have to um, move toward like the uncle model, which mm -hmm. is like, okay, like how are we, like, how are we gonna confront like Trump Jr. being in the fraternity? Like, I really don't care like what anyone's political standing is. It's like, we have to, we, we're gonna have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Because if, if the fraternity tilts too far right, then it's like, oh, okay. Like, is it, is it just, is this just gonna be like for these kind of people? Or is it going to be about men, right? You know, men of all kinds. And I think that's that's where a lot of like the things I think about with the fraternity is going to like be understood because the idea of the fraternity is amazing. Um, but actually it becoming like into fruition is like the hardest part mm -hmm. because, you know, everyone knows like Bama's like the house, you know, it's like the house, you know, and like, what like how do we how do we get ball state to be one of the best chapters you know mm -hmm. like, that's what i think about like i don't care about bama like yeah like nick saban wins a bunch of games and they got a big house but like you know what, what are we gonna do for like ball state you know like right. how can we make how can we give them resources outside of a house to make them competitive right you know? and, and competitive not only in um in in, in academics but alumni, like, I think we should only be thinking in alumni ways a lot of the time. Yeah. 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 If you can get the advisors, like you said, I think one of the um, things that the, the fraternity consistently does and, and does a, a pretty good job is outreach to graduates, right? When, when there, there's two things, and then I'm going to get off track on this one a little bit. But there's two things I saw in my personal opinion, when I traveled around as a field secretary, two things that were consistent on every chapter, whether it was Ball State, Alabama, East Coast, West Coast, is senior leadership in the chapter, meaning guys in the junior and senior years that are engaged and graduate support and leadership. And if you insert those two things, regardless of the school, regardless of the size, regardless of the geography, you're going to have a successful chapter. And, and you know, we strive to, to try to accomplish those goals. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit on you, okay. Sonny, um, because we wanna learn about you as well. It's been a great discussion, but um, as we said in the beginning, you know, you want, you have a master of fine arts degree from, from Penn and, yeah. you know, that kind of raises, I got to sit up a little straighter when I hear something like that, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, know, I know that, you know, writer, director, you know, artist, uh, things of that nature. So in all the things that you've been involved with uh, in the fine arts aspect of your life, what's been the proudest accomplishment as an artist that you've come across in the last couple of years? Yeah. Um... My um, I guess my gauge for good art, for a long, uh, it's as if it touches like regular people, you know, like that's 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 probably like kind of like weird to say and like kind of code it, but in the art world, it's a very like, you know, like nebulous place. It's very elitist. It's very classist in, in a lot of different ways, but my largest accomplishment was probably finishing grad school. It was incredibly difficult. Like I left University of Iowa and went directly to University of Pennsylvania. 
you know, like, and then I, then I learned about these ideas of the coastal elite, you know, which I didn't think pertained to me, like as an artist, as an, as a person from Chicago like in a city. But then I got there, I was like, oh, like they think of everybody this way. And they kind of took, you know, this, I like me as a working class person, not as serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not just at school, but this is like my coastal, um, like, like formation, you know, like, like as I'm forming this coastal body, you know, mm-hmm. while being there and learning all these things, I was like, wait, like, yeah, I'm an artist, but who am I talking to? And I feel like a lot of the people in the art world are only talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about that. And for me, I got out personally, like I'm a consultant now, like I'm a hospitality consultant. I work like with Excel all the time and I also make art. But for me, I, I didn't like the one thing the fraternity told me is like you you have to be very sure of who you want to align yourself with very very sure you want to align yourself with and like if you're not if you're not replacing yourself constantly and not only like replacing yourself for like an institution or like something like that like if you're not choosing the right partner if you're not choosing you know the right business partner if you're not choosing the right uh, friends or the right resources, like th- the whole house can fall apart. Mm-hmm. And being being in the art world, I learned that you know who I made work for are like you know people in my fraternity, you know. And like you know, I joke about Bama, but like making art at University of Pennsylvania that I hope relates to a person that goes to University of Alabama, you know, and University of Wyoming is really important to me. You know, and like the reason why I enjoyed Iowa so much was the fact that the urban condition in Chicago was very similar to rural condition in um in in the flyover or in the farm belt. And it was just the same thing. It's just like, okay, well, you know, there, there's a brain drain occurring to the city, and then there's like an inability for urban people to get out or inner city people to get out of their positions. And my whole thing was like, oh, this is a class, this is like this isn't even racial, this is a class thing. Like these people are of the same working class, but can't get out. And I guess going to, you know, get this MFA at Penn, it made me realize that, you know, I can still wear Carhartt and be a little intellectual and wear clear frame glasses. Right. But then still advocate for these people, you know? And and that's, that's a really, that was a really bizarre realization for me. Because like in America, like things are so racial and like things are racial and things are racist. Mm -hmm. But the thing that always bothered me growing up was class. Like I always knew I was black. I was like, all right, I don't really care about being black. It's like, whatever, like, cool, like, okay. But the thing that always made some weird sense to me was like how people were treated uh, class-wise, like the middle class, like, you know, or the, the working class farm kid and I, me being who I who I am from like you know the, the families from the inner city, we always saw eye to eye in a very particular way because we're just deeply Midwestern in in a certain way. So yeah, I think you know finishing grad school and learning that you know I can advocate for those people and like I, I still defend them to this day. I'm like the people of Iowa have always been great to me. Right. Um, like they may ask me some weird questions you know, about being black, but that's just curiosity. It's a very like working class mentality. Like what's going on over there? What, <laughs> why is that happening? 
Yeah. What, why, why are they protesting? And it's like, oh, okay. Like he's not saying, he's not being condescending, you know? Like, why would you do such thing? It's, it's genuinely why. And I think it, it allowed me to take a closer look at people I believe um, I'm, I'm more like, even though I don't look like them. Yeah. Yeah. So we like to um, have a parting shot just in our last, last couple of minutes and always end with, you know, what advice, you, you've been through a lot of different things, but what, what advice would you give your 20-year-old FIGAM self as you, you look back and you're like, okay, here's my opportunity, all the things we've discussed today and your experiences. Give us a quick snippet of what advice would you give a FIGAM coming into uh, the Greek system and, uh, and our fraternity? And it can, doesn't have to be fraternity specific. It just could be a life, you know, life, uh, life perspective or whatever. So I don't want to ha have you go down a wormhole or anything, but you know, what advice you're sitting here, 20 year old kids, what do you got? Yeah, honestly, I think girls and parties will always be there. Yeah. Like what you're doing now in that fraternity or like in that university it's about your last name. It's about your last name. It's about who you who you want to be, the legacy you want to leave. And it's not a game. It's not a joke. You know, you want to be like the guy who like sits down one day and is like, hey, you know, like, you know, like college was so amazing. Like, do you really want to be that guy? You know, like, be like, man, those were the days. You know, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to be 50 and be like, wow, like I'm just getting started. You know, like every, like, that's how I always say, try to view my life is like, okay, like, that was cool, but we can do more. We can definitely do more and, and like to take care of yourself. But like, yeah, girls and parties will always be there. I mean, it's good to have support and there's good to have like a girlfriend and stuff like that. But if it's not making you better, then what are you, what are you really doing? You know? Yeah, no, that's definitely good advice. So, Sonny, I know people, you know, with all the things that you're involved with, I know you have a website. If somebody's like, hey, I kind of really like what Sonny has to say. I want to see what his artwork looks like. I want to try to tap into some of the yeah. films he's produced. How do they find you? Uh, honestly, like, I'm on Instagram. Uh, so, it's my name Sonny Wooden, S-O-N-N-I-E, W-O-O-D-E-N on Instagram. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. If you're, if you're a brother, I'll just add you. It doesn't, like, I don't even think twice about it. Um, unless they're like not if they don't even try to like <laughs> point out that they're like a gam I'm like can you at least do that much I'm in, it's right. like like don't be that entitled like just be like make sure it's known that you're you're a gam or like send a message you know or like it, it doesn't have to be that much but when it comes down to like my art making things is um sunnyone.com which is s-o-n-n-i-e-o-n-e.com um yeah, it's 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 a yeah. I just make art. I'm a, I make art for regular people, and when I say regular people, I mean you know people who who want to be excited. You know when they you know when they have a day off, and sometimes you know you want to impress you know some girl or some guy that you're with, and you want to be like, all right, check this out. You know? <laughs> that's that's really what I make it for. I yeah. make make art for the like people who want to go on dates. You know, yeah. or like around like ten o'clock when you're just chilling, want to talk about something like crazy like art philosophy stuff and you know yeah. something like that but yeah i'm always around like 
I'm always available for like brothers, more important than like brothers for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, I've, I've had, you know, I picked up, I picked up guys in my car and they've picked me up and we're crying in the car because life is hard. So if you need an ear, if you need a shoulder, like, just let me know. Yeah. Well, your, son, your perspective today was, was good, right? It wasn't preachy and you really kind of understood what's going on. And, and I can't thank you enough for, for, uh, participating and engaging. I know it was an easy conversation. We're like, hey, Sonny, we're doing this thing called On the Banks. Are you interested? Before I could even finish the, the sentence, you said, heck yeah, I'm in. So I can't thank you enough for, yeah. for, uh, for participating. And, and I'd like to thank all the brothers uh, for joining us today um, with On the Banks. We look forward to seeing you again next time, Again, where we'll meet brothers, uh, share stories, and the values of our fraternity. So until next time, mighty proud to be a Fiji. Thanks, Sonny. Damn proud. <laughs>